Well, one of the things I wanted to share with you as we begin is, is just to ask, um, how many of you have gone on a short-term mission trip before? If you have, just raise your hand. And if you haven't, it's not a big deal. But just if you have, okay, would you be okay if I ask you a question? This is unscripted, right? And so if you wouldn't mind standing and just saying who, your name, if you would. I'm John Malink. John, and then would you share with us where you went? We went to Mexico. Okay, well, this is different than the last group. The last son, the first service, someone told me they went to Hawaii on their mission trip, and I'm going, I want to go on that one. Just one thing to you, what do you ask for people to pray for when you go? I ask people to pray for our protection because we go into the center of Mexico, mm-hmm. not the center, but in, across the border. Mm-hmm. It's a, quite a dangerous area, yeah. and there's a tremendous amount of poverty, mm-hmm. and uh, the people there really need to come to know Jesus as Lord of their life. Right. Well, thank you. And I just wanted to do that. The reason I want to do that is because one of the things we we pray for in our church often when we do this and we will in the summer, we send out a lot of short term mission teams. We send them off sometimes in February and we place our hands on them. And one of the things that we are often asked to pray for is divine appointments. That when you go, you have an opportunity, not as we, if we pray for safety and protection and, and God's need, which we need to, which we talk about, we're in a, a spiritual battle, but what we also pray for is that God would lead their every step and their move throughout the time that they're there. Now let me phrase this a little bit differently as we look at this very last verse that Paul brings up where he is asking for prayer and then he says, he's talking about prayer and he says, pray also for me. Because Paul had this sense that God had called him and that he was on what would be called divine appointments on his mission trips. But I want you to recognize something. If I could just get your mind around this concept today. If you have been in any way called by Jesus and you say, Jesus, I would, you know, I recognize there's some people who are are saying, you know, you're at a certain place and, and you maybe haven't made this kind of I want my life fully and completely to serve you. If you've said that, though, here's what I want to share with you. There is a sense, just like when Jesus called his disciples along, they were walking with Jesus. The Spirit of God was active, and they were a part of divine appointments throughout his walk. Every person who has said, I want to follow you, Jesus, in the morning as you get up and you begin your day and as you walk through your day, you are following, hopefully, Jesus, the Spirit of God in you, leading and moving through you. And the point is this. You have every day been called on a mini mission trip. The day that you're entering into is a short-term mission trip. You have been called by God. And you have in that day potential divine appointments. But I don't know if we live with that mindset. Just like Paul says, also pray for me. There should be a sense that every person who says, I follow Jesus, says pray for me today. As I go about following him towards these divine appointments. Now, I want to share with you that Paul had this experience and it comes from the very beginning of where he was called to go on these short term trips, these mission trips in Acts chapter 13, verse one and a few verses there. I want to look at that because here's a little background about Paul, why I think he felt this so strongly. It says that in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers 
They were gifted people, and they specifically mention this here because they go on to say, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. Now, you might be thinking, was this kind of a worship service? And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the Holy Spirit starts speaking. That's not, he uses gifts. So, for instance, I have been given the gift to teach and to preach, to explain the Word of God, hopefully so you have better understanding, and then encourage you to apply it in your life on a daily basis. That's what God's called me. Every one of you have spiritual gifts. Well, in the body in that day, we're functioning teaching gifts, but so prophetic gifts in the sense of not just speaking things in the future. That's what we think about. But it was this idea that in a time and an occasion for that moment, the word of God came for something specific. And that's what happens here. These prophets are basically they hear from the Lord. And it says set apart. For me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I've called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And the two of them sent them on their way. The two of them sent on their way, catch this, by the Holy Spirit. And they went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. And as you look at their whole trip, they were going through places where there were these God divine appointments, meeting people, bringing them to faith in Christ and starting these little communities called churches, assemblies of people who follow Jesus. Now, fast forward that a little bit. and He's taken another trip. Now he's gone on two. Now he goes on a third. And this third trip is to a place called Ephesus, this letter that we're reading about. He goes to Ephesus. He's on these mission trips. And again, these kind of divine appointments. Ephesus is located in Turkey. About a quarter million people at that time were living there. A very influential city where there were some valleys that led up into certain other little cities. And, and Paul, when he was there, they didn't have these like extended stay hotels, but he was, for some reason, they're told in Acts 19.10 that Paul had an extended stay for over two years when he was in Ephesus. And what he did was he had these divine appointments and he sent other people on these little mission trips up the valleys so if you read in Colossians in the first chapter, he talks about Epaphras going up to these churches. And in that two-year time, the gospel spread as there was these divine appointments in these little communities that were started all over the place. That's a little bit of the background that they understand that when Paul is writing to them, they understand here was Paul. He was sent by God with, these, with this idea that he's on this trip and he has divine appointments and in his own mind. He's constantly encouraging when he writes this letter of Ephesians. He says, I want you to know the first three chapters, the resources you have on God and how he's brought both Jew and Gentile together and how he saved you by his grace. And then he takes a little bit of time to talk about some practical things. And now we get to this passage of scripture that we've been reading in in Ephesians chapter six, verse 10. And I, I was saying in the first service, I feel this way also again in the second service. I hate coming to the end of some series because I've really enjoyed this series. But we're here. And what he writes in Ephesians is he's sitting probably in jail somewhere else. He's writing to this church in Ephesus where God had led him and these divine appointments took place. He was on this mission trip. Chained between two soldiers, he looks around and he says, before I finish this letter, I want to share with you some important truths. And that is that we are in a spiritual war that we're engaged in. Don't ever forget it. And we're not fighting against flesh and blood. The battle is not against the person at work that is creating some pain in your life. It's not about the neighbor who lets the dog run across your yard. It's not a person. It is spiritual forces of darkness that you are fighting against. And the battleground is your mind. And the battle is what you will believe with your mind. Will you believe truth or will you believe lies? 
And he goes on and he makes it very clear that the battle isn't yours to win. It is only that you stand in these truths. That's why he says put on the spiritual armor. He's basically saying like armor, this armor are truths. And the truths are that you are girded with this belt of truth and integrity, the word of God and, and the integrity of your life which ties all this stuff together so you have this breastplate of righteousness, which is the righteousness of God that you stand in and the, the living in a right way before um, God, doing what, the things that he calls us to do. And then he says, put on the shoes of peace, because this peace of God that you have in relationship with him kind of strengthens you, tells you to be able to keep your stand, and yet everywhere you go, you're spread, spreading this reconciliation and peace. And then you take, he says, the shield of faith, and this shield of faith, this truth of faith is able to, to stand against all the and all the arrows that come against you. And then he says, put on the helmet of salvation. The fact that God has working in your life. It's not about something out there someday. There is the hope of salvation. Very important. But there's the hope that he's saving you right now. He's at work even in your waiting. And keep that in mind. And then he goes on. He says, grab the sword of the spirit. Because the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, and the Word is the rhema Word of God. It's the opportunity that as you're in the midst of battle, as you're standing, and you need that Word, God gives you that Word to be able to cut through or to be able to stand in victory and to take ground for God, and He will give you then that victory as you do that. That's what he's painting. And then he says, you need to understand. He gets to the very part of eight, uh, verse 18, and he says, here's what you have to understand. How important have you do all this stuff that you pray because prayer is just this daily conversation. It, it begins in the beginning of the day where you are just humbly dependent on God. You recognize as you go into battle without the spiritual relationship and this conversation and the power of God unleashed in your life, you won't be able to stand. And then he says here, these verses in 19 and 20, and he calls us to pray. Now, so I'm going to ask us to stand if we would. I'm going to read and have us read together these verses since it's the last time we're going to be doing this. Verse 14, we'll start there, and I'm going to ask you to read this with me. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you, you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now keep standing and I will read these verses from last week and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And then look at verse 19. Paul, no pride in Paul. He says, and pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, boldly, some translations say, as I should. Thanks. Let's, um, you can be seated. Father, I pray as, there, as we just take these words in that, God, you would take some of these words that I'm saying now and help us to understand more fully what it means to enter into each day as if there are many mission trips where there are divine appointments where you want to, through us, meet people wherever they may be. Help us as a church to live in that mindset, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. 
So there's just three things that I would really love to have us um, look at this morning. And, and the first is just what I've been kind of talking about, because this is how it applies to you and to me. And that is, in a sense, to view every day as a mini mission trip. But as you go out, I want you to see yourself as an ambassador. Okay, that's really going to be important that you see yourself as an ambassador. We'll make a a statement about that in a moment. But the idea is that there are God appointments. There are the opportunities to follow Jesus as the spirit leads you, which is so important because it's, it's about paying attention to this conversation we talked about last week so that God can lead you into those places. It's not about us being real forceful and coming to people. And let me tell you that it's not about our work. It's about the work of God through us. And so often I think what's happened is we in our own flesh and our own abilities move into situations and, and create difficulties. I want you to pay attention to how God is calling you to do this. And then we're going to look at two things that's really important. If the reality is that we live out these many mission trips as ambassadors, and what does that mean? Then you're going to know that you need to recognize there's going to be fears that are going to keep you from doing that. So if you intentionally understand the reality of this, you're going to have fears. And then what you need to understand is not only you need to recognize, you need to resolve to be bold. And we're going to talk about that. So as we talk about these many mission trips, I just want to share with you that that what God is seeking to cause us to do is to begin to understand when we put on all this armor, we, we, we are clothing ourselves in a sense that we're not living under condemnation. We're not living under self-doubt. We're not living under this critical voice. We're beginning to understand that God deeply loves us. And when that becomes settled, we become settled people. We have the ability to begin to look outside ourselves at the needs of others. We have the ability when we stand, understand how much God loves us, even though though we were yet sinners and we are at the foot of the cross like every person around us, we begin to understand in the settledness of this love that we can look out at others and we can actually begin to impact others. But what Satan would love for us to do is get so caught up in our own selfishness, our own desires. He gets our mind on ourselves, and we walk through the day and we don't even see what God might be calling us to. And so he says, I want you to do this, but I want you to do this in such a way that you understand that you're an ambassador. And I was I've been wrestling with this and the commentaries didn't give me some of the understanding of this. He he changes metaphors here. He's been saying, you know, we're soldiers, we're soldiers. And it just hit me on the car ride in to speak this morning. God is so good. (laughs) He loves you guys because he wants you to know this. The difference between a soldier and a... See, the soldier is going against the spiritual forces of darkness. The soldier is going behind what's causing an imprisonment, what's causing something in this person's life to be less than what God intends for it to be. There is this spiritual force behind her. We pray against that. We come against that. But we become ambassadors to people. You ever think about that? What do ambassadors do? They bring their land, their customs, and who they are. And the reason they come into other countries is because they're there as a reconciler. They're there to hopefully cause some sense of peace so that we can work together as people. And we can contribute something good here. And, and what he calls you to be is, is he just wants you to be an ambassador where you live. And then you go on these mini mission trips. It's all about bringing The reality of how life is in heaven to where you go here on earth. So that when Jesus would make this prayer, he says, I pray. And he he teaches everyone to pray. Our Father who's in heaven, may your name be made holy, different, set apart. May people see you in a way that maybe they're not seeing you. Could I be an ambassador? They might see you in a new way so that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth through me as it's done every day in heaven. Isn't that cool? 
You have the ability, not just in what you say, but in what you do and how you live. As you walk and follow Jesus to bring heaven to every place you go. Do you do that? Do you intentionally say, Lord Jesus, this morning as I get up and I go on my mission trip, I am asking that you would so reside in me in love, that I would so know your goodness and so know who I am in you and be aware of who I am, that I could walk in these situations. And if I need to hold up a boundary for the sake of goodness, I can do that, but I'll do it in love. And if I need to say something, I will say it out of kindness. Or if I need to move into a place where all I do is come around someone and just ask them for prayer. And if I can pray for them, I'll do that. Because just like your servants in heaven obey your every command and hear your every prompting, I would like for my heart to be like that. That's my desire for us. You know, it could be unleashed if we intentionally said, God, this morning, this day, I'm going on a mini mission trip for you. Now, I was thinking about this. Our vision as a church is to bring the life-changing love of Jesus to everyone everywhere. That's what our vision is. And as elders right now, we're coming around and saying, how do we create a culture here so that this culture is safe in a place where there's grace, in a place where there's truth, and in a place where we can bring people into this, where where they can begin to grow and they can hear even the Word of God. If you're checking it out and you're not sure about it, you can come here and go, you know, it's okay. So our vision is to bring a life-changing love of Jesus to everyone everywhere. That's your vision if you're a part of this community. To awaken people to the reality of this love that changed your life. And it doesn't matter who it is. So, I was reading some things the last week and I thought it was kind of interesting. I came across an article and uh, they, they, I was finding it interesting. What do you think is the most, the, the demographic group that shares their faith the most? Think about it for a second. What demographic group do you think shares their faith the most? It's five-year-old Hispanic boys living in Providence, Rhode Island. No, just kidding. Just wanted to see if you're with me. (laughs) Yeah, they break it down really slice it small. No. According to the Barna Research Group, millennial Christians. Raise your hand if you're in the millennial age group. Come on. There's some of you. Thank you. Yeah, you're not. Get out of here. So at one time, some people thought I was emergent when I first came to this church. And we had this guy who came who was an authority on emergent church. And he looked at all of us as elders who were all, with, you know, most of the gray hair. Um, and, and, and then saw no earrings and no tattoos. He goes, you guys are an emergent. What's wrong with you guys? You're not in that group. Anyway, he goes on and he says, uh, millennial Christians are the only U.S. demographic in which evangelism is significantly on the rise in this past year, 2013. 65% of millennial Christians said they had shared their religious beliefs with someone in the last 12 months. Okay, now, now that's, that's not a, something to just shout about as a, as a group of people. Because in the last 12 months, we didn't tell us how many times, but at least that's the highest. And I'm just really proud of this age group that's beginning to start saying we need to tell people. We need to live this life. We need to be able to share that in a contextually relevant and honest way. So there's this. 
Now, as you begin to think of yourself as an ambassador, and if you actually make a commitment, and we'll talk a little about this in, as we get to the end of the service, to, to make a daily mini-mission trip where you look for divine appointments, one of the things that's going to rise up maybe in your heart right now are fears. Pray for me also that I will what fearlessly go around and tell this as I should. And so I began to think about this. I thought, well, you know, what are some of the fears? You know, if the Apostle Paul field, you know, face fear daily, if, if he felt like he could be debilitated and held back by fear, I mean, how much more from us? Just think of the Apostle Paul. He had to be an excellent communicator. In, in, in Acts chapter fourteen twelve, in the Greek city of Lystra that he went to, the people where he began to share the gospel called Barnabas Zeus and called him Hermes or Mercury, which was because he was the spokesman, because he was such a good spokesman. He, he, he was like this Greek god who spoke well. So he had to be pretty good at what he had to, you know, what he is in his communication. And then not only was he a good communicator, he was really pretty quite, you know, I would say he was quite brave. If you look at Second Corinthians in the 11th chapter, 23 through 27, Paul at a certain point gets a little bit, he goes, you know, I, I hate to do this, but I'm going to start to brag because you need to understand how much I really love you and how much I love Jesus. And so he starts to say, I've been jailed more often, beaten up more times than I can count at death's door time after time. I've been flogged five times with the Jews, 39 lashes, beaten by Roman rods three times, pummeled with rocks once. And he just goes on. And, 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 and he must have known what to say. So not only was he an ex-communicator, and not only was he someone who had some courage, he also knew exactly what to say. But yet Paul comes to this point after he says, pray for others. He says, would you pray for me? And you're kind of thinking, what is he going to ask us to pray for? And what he says is, because I'm afraid. I think that's pretty amazing. Paul still asks for prayer for what to say, the ability to say it and to do so without fear. So if you're afraid, join the group with Paul, but then get over it. Just ask others to pray with you that you would be able to overcome those fears. So what are some of the fears? You know, um, one of the fears that I think people have is, is this whole fear of I just don't know what to say. It's what I call this fear of incompetency. You know, I don't know enough. I haven't studied enough. I'm not a holy man like you, Kevin. I'm not a scholar around biblical stuff. So you know what? I'm just I'll live a good life, but don't count on me to say anything. That's a lie. That's a lie that Satan wants you to believe because he wants you to then be bound by fear and intimidated so that you won't say something. Because Jesus actually tells his disciples when they go out in Matthew 10, he sends them out in verse 19 and he says, I want you guys not to worry about what to say or even how to say it. You're one of his followers right now. He's getting ready to release you on a mini mission trip each day this week. And he's looking at you and you go, you know what the fear that you're fearing about? It's really called trust me. Trust me, because he goes on to say, you know, and almost he says, just start talking, because at, at, at the time you'll be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of the Father speaking through you. He will give you the rhema word of God. Last week I shared that illustration of this, um, this lady, Antoinette Tuff, who was standing in front of an AK-47, and it was nothing really between her and 800 school children, and God, at a certain moment, because of some of the things in her past, had prepared her, but one of the things that really prepared her, she would anchor herself every day where she would listen, to, you know, she'd read the Word of God, she'd spend time, and then she'd spend 15 minutes so she could just practice hearing the Spirit in her heart. 
so that when she was in that moment, when the word and when she was in one of those places, the word she could hear the spirit. And I have had people ask me, you know, what did she say? So last week I told you I'd start a blog and I did. And so the article's there. If you want to hear what she had to say, you have to go look at that. It's on the website. No, I'll, I'll tell you. Well, maybe I won't. Would you like to hear? Here's how funny God is. She's standing there. She's in the middle of that. Her heart's quiet for a moment. She hears these words. And she says them. Can I go to the bathroom? That's it. And what happens, and I'll explain it if you want to look at the article and you want to look at the blog. What happens is that reptilian, that lower brain, which is enraged and needs to stay there and can't look people in the eyes and all this other stuff. Those who are survivalists will tell you this. It, that funny little question that God placed in her heart that she said forces it to move to the upper brain, the frontal cortex. And you have to begin to think it moves, removes the emotion and you're taken off balance. It basically like switches the channels. And the guy goes, yeah. She comes back and she's in a place where she now begins to use some of the resources and God helping her move through that. I just want to tell you, God, if you're serious about this, you think he's going to let you down. He loves you and loves other people more than you can imagine. He will give you what you need to say. And it may be only as simple as how can I pray for you? In fact, that's probably one of the most effective ways to open a person's heart. I'm sitting at a, a breakfast a few weeks ago with a couple of elders. This lady comes, she takes our order, she gives us her stuff, and she comes back to say, how are things going? Is there anything else I can do for you? And one of the elders says, how can I pray for you? Can we do anything for you? I'm going, cool. She begins to share some things about her kids and shares it with us, and, and then she leaves. She comes back later, gets some stuff, and she's feeling very tender. And she goes, you know, I haven't shared that with anyone. And she just was just so thankful. Now, we didn't go and, and try and lead her to the Christ at that moment. We were just paying attention to the Spirit of God. And he just said something so simple. I can promise you that if you are just in this place and you just say to someone, how can I pray for you? I, I've done this. I've never had a person turn me down. They might just open a door and then pray for them and get serious about it. Another one is this. It's not the fear of I don't know what to say because really you don't need to be a scholar. You just need to be available. Okay, I don't know what to say. Just God says, be available. I will give you what needs to be said. I will tell you what you should do. The second one is, I'm afraid what they will think of me. Anybody feel that way? I mean, I, I do. You go, wait a second, you're a whole man. Paul did. He would be before some of the most highest officials, and I think that's what he's praying about. He had the opportunity to stand before Caesar. He's probably in, a Ro in, in, the, in, in the Roman prison at that time, and he had some things ahead of him, and he's afraid. So we can be afraid. This is what I call the fear of rejection. I was reading the other day someone who was commenting on how often we are more concerned about what people may think about us than we are about what God thinks. And I was thinking about that and just, you know, we are held hostage by people's opinions, but the reality is we're held hostage by what we think their opinion is, right? It's really one step off from that. And it's what's called an approval addiction. It's the idea that people live in bondage to what others think about them. So Henry Nouwen writes this neat thing. He says, at issue here is the question, to whom do I belong? To God or to the world? Many of my daily preoccupations suggest that I belong more to the world than to God. 
A little criticism makes me angry and a little rejection makes me depressed. A little praise raises my spirits and a little success excites me. Often, I like this, I am like a small boat on the ocean, completely at the mercy of its waves. I live my life throughout the day on the ocean of the waves of people's opinion, and I go through it, and God is saying, guess what? I created you for a purpose. I have called you to follow me. There is a mini mission trip with divine appointments today. I will give you what to say. And beyond that, guess what? What's most important isn't what they think. Or what your mind believes and makes up. That's a lie because usually we end up putting in things that they're not even thinking. What's most important is what I think and what I think of you. So the other day I'm at this place where I work out and, and they were actually in the men's locker room. They're doing a renovation of it. So you have to go in this little boys locker room and, and I'm in there. It's next to the pool and there's this little kid. He's about four years old. And, and he's sitting there. He, he's just so comfortable in his own skin. You have one of these kind of kids. He just, you know, he's just this little guy. And he starts talking to me out of the blue. I, you know, I came in. I saw him. I said hi and started to go do my thing. And he goes, hi. And then he says, you know, you know, Jack, you know, my brother Jack, he's playing hockey. My dad took him there. I go, oh. And then he goes, and, 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 uh, and since my dad's with him, my mom, she's out of town. So I came today with Mrs. Whitting. Oh, cool. I said, uh, uh, you know, like you had a swimming suit that he had on. I said, uh, so you're here for swimming lessons and swimming pra- or whatever. And he goes, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm doing for swimming lessons. And so we talk a little bit more, and I'm putting my, um, my shirt on. Uh, I started to take my shirt off, and all of a sudden he looks at me and goes, hey, cool shirt. <laughs> I'm going, yeah, that's pretty cool. And I'm looking at it, and it's, you know, it's just it says Alice's Restaurant, Woodside, California, but he's looking at the back of it. And it's just the restaurant with the motorcycle. And I tell him, yeah, it's, it's a little restaurant. I sit down with him. I go and show him the shirt. A little restaurant just north of the Bay Area. He has no idea where the Bay Area is. He's probably thinking like Lake, Lake, Lake Minnetonka or something. But north of the Bay Area, where all these motorcycles come. And he's kind of excited about it. So we get done. I put my shirt on. And I'm standing there. And he goes, <laughs> he points. He goes, you're not going to wear those out there, are you? I mean, no filter at all. I'm riding this high of excitement of this little four-year-old telling me i got a really cool shirt. Now he's looking at me going, you're not going to wear those out there, are you? And I go, are you kidding me, kid? Of course I am. No. And I thought to myself, how incredible this is. I didn't get all devastated. And I wasn't going on the waves of excitement and, oh, now he's rejected me. I wasn't. And there's a reason. I just kind of laughed in my heart. And why did I laugh in my heart? Because it's a little kid. I mean, what does a four-year-old know? He doesn't know it's cool. No. Um... <laughs> He's a little kid. And I thought to myself, we, between our, our need to be approved and living with that addiction is always a choice that we make. Is that voice credible? Is that voice have validity? I don't care if it's a four-year-old or a 20-year-old or a 30-year-old or a 40-year-old or a 50-year-old. I don't care if they're wearing a white collar or a blue collar. We give them authority to approve or not approve us. And God is saying, be set free from that. The only thing that matters in your life is what I see in you. And I love you dearly. So if my spirit begins to call you to move, to move into some place on a mini mission trip, there's some divine appointments I want you Forget about this whole thing. You don't know what to say. I will give you what needs to say. And then when it comes to the whether they're going to like you or not, doesn't matter. 
Because I really like you. And then he, there's another one that I, I think people live with and, and, and they um, are caught up in. It's this, it's this idea that I think is a lie that creates fear that imprisons us again. And it's this idea that, you know, who am I to say anything? I don't live perfectly yet. Guess what? You won't till you get to heaven. Get over that. In fact, it's a lie to think that being a sinner disqualifies you from telling others about Jesus. Because being a sinner is a prerequisite. You get that? It's what qualifies you. It's the person who doesn't think they're a sinner. It's the person who goes to church or, or, or in some ways think that they're really religious and somehow are doing all this stuff that stands in self-judgment, that condemns, that seems to have to tell everybody what to do and seeks to try and change you is the person who will never be listened to. They don't qualify to tell you. The person who makes a difference in anybody's life is the person who's vulnerable and humble and recognizes their own need and they understand that in who they are as sinners, they have something that they could maybe bring, which is God's love, because you've experienced it. It's as simple as that. And so this whole idea that, you know, you're a hypocrite, yeah, you will be a hypocrite. Just don't purposely live that way. But you're not going to do it perfectly. And don't ever let Satan make you think that until you do, you're going to then be qualified to do it, because it won't happen. Your only job is to do this, is to experience the love of God, recognize your own sin, walk in a sense of self-awareness and humility, and as you walk in that, you begin to understand that all you're doing is pointing people to a perfect Jesus who loves imperfect people and forgives them and gives them grace. Right? So these are the fears. There's more fears. I could go into more. But you know what? I think to each and every one of the fears that you may experience, you may experience fears right now to say you may, there's a lie right now that's going out that says, you know what, the Christians have so blown it that, you know, don't talk about Jesus. You know what? There's some truth to the fact that I think evangelicals have put things in such a way that they stood in judgment, that they've lost a, a platform in which to stand. So I get that. But I want to also tell you, you don't have to worry about a label. Just be a follower of Jesus and love him with all your heart. And when you pray about it and you're on this mini mission trip and there's a divine appointment, then just say, God, am I supposed to say something? And if you're not, don't. But don't let your fears hold you back. Because every fear has you bound by a lie. And the battle is the battleground is your mind. And the battle is whether you're going to believe what is true or what is false. And then, there's this last part. Every day you need to live boldly, which means you need to step out of your comfort zone and intentionally do this. And I'm going to ask you to take a pad of paper and, and write these down. There's pads of paper in the pews in front of you. We call them the seat pocket. And if you don't want to do it, just humor me and act like you're doing it, okay? I just want you to think about doing five things. To actually step out of your comfort zone. And the first is this. Just like Paul, would you ask someone or some others, whether it's your small group, some friends, to pray for you to begin to not fear and to boldly step out and begin to share your faith? And just think of who that might be, who it is that you're going to ask and write that name down or that group down. Secondly, I want you to set a goal. 
And maybe the goal is just as simple as saying this next week, at least five times this next week, God, I'm going to look for. Maybe every day I'm going to look for a divine appointment where I can have the opportunity to love someone. And if it opens up the opportunity to share my faith, I'm just going to ask you, Holy Spirit, to lead this. This is not something. Don't go into this a guilt thing. This is not a have to do thing. This is a paying attention to the spirit of God. But you're setting goals and saying, God, I'm going to test you in this and see maybe you could show up in it. I found that setting goals are really important. So next to the name that you're asking to pray for, you write down what that goal will be. Some of you might be really ambitious and you might say, you know, we're in the season of Lent. There's about 37, 36 days left. What you're going to do is say, I'm going to give up fear and I'm going to replace it with boldness. And I'm going to, through the next 37 days, begin to say, God, how can I boldly step out and share my faith? Every one of those days, possibly, if you have an opportunity for me to do that. Make up whatever you want to do. What's your goal? Third is this. Make yourself accountable. And by this, I mean this. You've already put a person's name. They're going to have to pray for you. You're going to also put down a goal. Now you're going to tell that person that goal. And you're going to kind of share with that group what's going on on a weekly basis. Or if it's just for one week, you're going to get back to them. And my wife um, and I got these up 24 bracelets for, you know, measuring your sleep goal and your steps, how much your fitness goal. Some of you have like Fitbit or things like that. It's amazing to me when you make yourself accountable to anything, how life changes. So like we'll be at like in dinner time and we're only like about 40 percent of our 10,000 step goal. And we'll be standing here looking at each other going like this I was in the airport the other day. And I think people must think I have to go to the bathroom or something. I'm just like this. But accountability is a really good thing. And so that's that third thing. And then the fourth thing I'm going to ask you to do is this. Would you just write down and say eyes? Give me eyes that are open this day to see any appointments you have for me. Give me eyes this day to see, ears to hear, a heart that's soft. I don't care how you want to pray it. Just pray that prayer. And then the fifth is, is do it. Get out of the boat. There's a book, there's a book that says, um, popular title, you, can walk, you can't walk on water until you get out of the boat. You just got to get uncomfortable. I'm going to have the worship team to come forward, but I'm going to share with you a quick story that happened this Tuesday. This Tuesday, I had an opportunity um, to meet with a group of people called Revive Twin Cities. And what they're doing is they're meeting monthly to train people in how to share their faith. And the whole premise of it is that they'll come in July and it's all about letting the Holy Spirit lead them to the people that are supposed to be spoken to. And so I'm meeting at uh, Panera with Tom Hagen is with me. We're sitting down and we're, we're with these guys. And, and also Pastor Dan Johnson at Plymouth Covenant was there with one of his staff persons. And they're telling me how exciting it is. Dan saying, it's so cool. We had him in January. We trained some people. And here's one of the things that happened. He said, we're training someone. And there's a guy who's there who this is way out of his comfort zone. And Dan tells me, he goes, and so the guy comes up to Dan and a couple of the other guys. and go, you know, you hear from God. God speaks to you, but he doesn't speak to me. And Dan said, well, you know, just, you know, see what happens. You know, just go ahead and go through it. Because the next day was the day they're going to actually go out and share their faith. It was the training day. And that's Friday night. So that Saturday morning, this guy is in bed. He's laying in bed. And he's thinking about what he's going to do that day. And he hears an impression on his heart or a voice. I don't know. But he hears, go to the Plymouth Fire Station. Here, right here, Plymouth Fire Station. So he and about two other guys who were out in this go there and, and, and all they're going to do is go and ask people how they can pray for them. So they go and they knock on the Flint fire station door and no one's there. They knock again. No one's there. And they're just about to walk away. And an older lady comes by and as she's walking by. Um, they just say, you know, could we pray for you? How, how can we pray for you? And she goes, well, and she's a little said something and then wasn't too happy and kind of walked into the fire station. And then they're just about to leave. And us, another lady comes out and she obviously had talked to that lady because she didn't want to talk to them at all. 
And they're going, oh, man, we must have had indigestion. We didn't hear anything. And as they tell the story, and then all of a sudden, as they're walking to the car, a truck pulls up. This guy comes out of the car, of the truck and says to him, hey, you guys, he goes, what are you guys doing here? Is, are you looking for someone? And they said, well, we're just looking for anybody who would like prayer. Well, I'd like prayer. And they start talking to him. And they pray for him. They get done praying. The guy's just crying. And then they say, you know, can we tell you more about Jesus? He goes, yeah, I'd like to know more about it. And they lead him to Christ, and he's going to their church. So we're not talking about trying to do something crazy and strange. We're just talking about how do you flow in the Spirit? What does it mean to say, God, today is a little mini mission trip for me to pay attention how to love people in ways that, that is life-changing. 